is good to see everybody today. And times like that don't happen as much as they probably should. We guard ourselves against a lot of the things I think that God wants to do in us personally, but also in us as a body as we come together and we worship. And a lot of times I don't think it's because we purposefully do it, we're just uncomfortable. And that's a little bit of what we're talking about today. We're finishing up our series on dinner and a savior. And today we're talking about Jesus eating with the restored. And this is a, you know, I think all scripture is fascinating. We, <clears throat> we talk about it a lot, how you can read the Bible and you can read it a million times and you can read the same passages millions of times. And then you go and you read it a million and one, and all of a sudden God reveals something new to you in that moment that you've never seen or realized before. And that's the power of God's word is that it is infinitely able to influence and teach and shape and mold our lives if we are open and allow it to. So in today's passage in John chapter 21 verses 3 through 13, you can turn there in your Bibles or follow along on the screen. It's in this moment that Jesus is about to eat breakfast with seven of his disciples. And it's an odd time because Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid to rest in a tomb. He's been resurrected. And this is that 40-day period that Jesus is alive. But his presence is very fluid in the fact that he is constantly moving in and out and presenting himself to different people during this time. And there's several hundred people who testify to seeing Jesus Christ after he has risen. And he's not with his disciples during this time constantly like he was leading up to his crucifixion either. So the disciples are just kind of in this limbo area. They've spent the past three years with Jesus, doing ministry with him. The air has been let out of their balloons. They've felt like they failed Jesus. They're, they're not really sure where they stand with him. They had deserted him. Peter had denied him three times. And they were just stuck in this moment where they really just did not know where to go, what to do, what was next, even if there was a next. So let's read this together. John 21 verse 3. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Welcome to, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. And none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. 
And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This is this really familiar passage of Scripture, like we said. You know, you've probably heard a hundred sermons on this passage. But I believe God always likes to reveal new things. And there are five things from this sermon that I feel like are beneficial to us today. Point number one is that the familiar is always tempting. You know, in this moment when the disciples didn't really know what to do, their first instinct was to go back to what they did before they knew Jesus. They went fishing. Most of these men were fishermen, not all of them, but most of them. And as they're just kind of stuck in this, this time where they just don't know what to do, they don't have an answer, it's just awkward moments, awkward times in life, they go back to what they knew before. And one of the greatest temptations that Satan will bring to all of us that we will face as Christians is the temptation of comfort. And when we talk about the familiar there's great comfort in what we know as being familiar. You know, familiar, the root word of familiar, it comes from the word of family, of, of what you are familiar with, the people you're familiar with, the things you're familiar with. There's great comfort in that. And one of the greatest temptations we're going to face is the desire to go back to what was comfortable, to go back to what we're familiar with that was before, and even for some of us Christians, there is a temptation for us to find a place of comfort and bunker down and stay there. You with me this morning? So you can follow Christ, you can leave the things from your past, and you may not necessarily be living in sin now, but there is a temptation for us as believers to find a place of comfort and to stay there. Because let's be honest. We don't like to be changed, do we? We don't like to be stretched and pressured and made to feel uncomfortable. And the older we get and the more set in our ways that we get, the more we enjoy our comfort and the more we resist change and the stretching of who we are as individuals. Now, people are guilty of this. Churches are guilty of this. There are many churches that, you know, it's really funny how a lot of churches that we know of, even this church, was started from a revival in the early 1900s. It starts out because something different was being done, change was happening, and something changes in people's lives, and yet there's still a temptation for groups of people and churches to kind of hunker down and find this place of comfort and stay there. And I want to challenge you this morning... That is not where God has called us to be. There's no indication whatsoever that comfort was ever a part of the deal of us following Christ. When you read scripture and you think about what Jesus called his followers to do and how people would gather together in droves and they would follow after him and he would turn around and he would challenge them with things of discomfort and many of them would turn away and disperse. Comfort was never a part of the deal whenever we decided to follow Christ. And comfort can look very different according to each individual. You think about this, and this is, I've always thought this was ludicrous. Like, this is the, the most amazing yet ridiculous thing I've ever heard of is that God freed the people of Israel. Right? Ten plagues, death of the firstborn, the Passover, 
The parting of the Red Sea, led by the pillar of fire at night, the cloud by day, provided food, manna from heaven, water from the rock, quail whenever they got hungry and wanted some meat, did everything. And yet the people of Israel grumbled and wanted to go back to Egypt because at least there they had food and water provided for them every day. Is that not crazy? But we point at them in Scripture and we say, how could they do that? And at the same time, we as followers of Christ, who proclaim that God has come in and changed us and has done a work in our life, and we have experienced something in our hearts that is greater than anything else in our life, are we not constantly tempted to go back to things that we once enjoyed before? And the comforts of what is in the world and the places of just being content with where we are right now in the moment. And we can be blinded by the familiar and the comfort. And it's a very dangerous place to be. But we have to always remember that whether it's comfortable or even, even though comforts are not sinful necessarily. Like you may be in a place right now that you're in your life and you've been here for a while and you're not living in sin and yet it is sinful for you to be where you are without maybe even realizing it because God has something more for you. Point number two. Let's take a break from this one. Let's go to two. Blessings on your life only come through Christ. You know, many experience good things in life. And I think in our culture, it's really easy for us to understand this because we all have more than most other people in the world. We may not realize it sometimes, but I think if we take a step back and we really like take a breath and we look at the rest of the world, I think most of us would be willing to say, we are very blessed. We, we are very wealthy people. Maybe not comparison to others, but to most other people in the world, we're very wealthy people. If you don't know that, you should know that. But you can have good things in your life and you can have everything that you need and at the same time, you don't have the blessing of the Lord in your life. And if the blessing of the Lord is not in your life, a lot of times the things that most people desire and want and things that we might consider as blessings from God could become curses. Right? Like material things, wealth, Family businesses, I mean, things that people would say, oh, that's a good thing. Talents and abilities. I mean, how many famous people who are, who, who are loved by our culture in media and music and entertainment and all this stuff, and yet while they have what all of us would think was the greatest thing, like this so cool that they, they're, they're those people, a lot of times they're miserable and wretched, and they don't even want to be bothered, and they're not happy. And so you can have many things. You can have great things in your life and at the same time not have blessing in your life. You ever been at a point in your life where you've literally put everything that you've had into something? Like you, you've worked hard, you've toiled, you've tried, you've bled, you've cried over something. You've put everything that you had into it and at the end of it you have absolutely nothing to show for it. It's like you've done everything within your ability to try to make this thing happen or try to see it through, and yet it's just, it's not going to happen. And it's in those moments and times where we understand it's like, really, there's something about God's hand being upon us 
in bringing things into our life and ordaining things to be in our life because a lot of times we get lost because we do have so much good in our lives. We do have a lot of good things that the Lord has blessed us with, whether we realize it or not. But unless the Lord chooses to just bring stuff or things or people in your life or things, whatever it may be, there's nothing that you can do to make it happen. Like we just don't have the talents and abilities. Some people are very talented, but we just can't make everything happen the way we want it. But it's really amazing that when Jesus' hands is on it, blessings come. You know, you look at these disciples, they went back and they did what they were familiar with. You know, they weren't chumps when it came to fishing. Like, this was their life. They spent their entire life leading up to the moment where Jesus called them fishing. And they go out all night and they do what they had spent their whole life doing. They didn't catch a thing. And in this moment, Jesus calls them to just do something different. Just move a few feet up, throw it on the other side of the boat. And yet, how amazing is it that the nets are so full they can't even haul them in? We have to realize and understand in our life there's a difference between things that we may get or things that we can accomplish and and things that are true blessings from the Lord. And how you can have many things and you can have all this wonderful stuff that so many people would desire and love to have, and yet there's a big gaping hole in your life because Christ is not in it and the blessings aren't in it. And you look at all these things and you're just like, they're no good to me. Because I can't even enjoy them because you know the blessing of God is not in you and on you during those things. And I've said it a million times. I'll say it until y'all run me off and don't let me preach anymore. But I'm not a prosperity gospel person. I don't believe in it. I don't promote it. But I have yet to see anyone who is truly a faithful follower of Jesus Christ who is poor and lacking... Those people may not have as much as other people, but they have more in their life than what they need, and they know it. And people who are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, they could have it like Job. They could have it all taken away, but they still have everything that they need. And there's a difference in the attitude and mindset of when Christ is in us and his blessings are upon us. And it's important to realize this morning that if Christ is not in your life, then you have no blessing in it. You may be well off. You may have everything that people would love to have. And at the same time, you have nothing. And you know you have nothing in the midst of it. Point three. You've been called away from the familiar. Let's go back to point one. Yeah, we said this a while ago. The familiar is always tempting. To go back to the friends, to go back to to the stuff, to go back to the activities, the temptations, to even get to a spot where you feel comfortable and familiar with where you are right now, it is always tempting for us to hunker down. But we really need to understand this morning that God has called us away from the comfort and familiar in our lives. And it's always been that way. And you look at all of Scripture. God called Abraham away from his home and his family. He called the Israelites out of Egypt. He called us out of our sin. And if you think that you've ever reached a point in your life where you're, you're maintaining this relationship with God and you're not living in sin and you're in a really good place and you can be comfortable, 
you're only fooling yourself because that is not what God has called us to. In fact, God has always called people to stretch and go beyond what they are. And even Abraham, the man who followed God, when God said go, and Abraham went and proved himself by having faith as being righteous, was called upon by God again to offer his son Isaac to just prove one more time and to stretch him and see, what are you really made of, Abraham? What do you really believe, Abraham? What are you willing to do, Abraham? What are you willing to sacrifice, Abraham? What are you willing to give up for me, Abraham? After Abraham has already proved faithful in everything, God is still leading him and stretching him to the point in his life beyond what we even think is, is rational. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you think, okay, I'm living a pretty good life, I'm happy with where I am, be careful not to be satisfied because God has not called you to be satisfied. And in fact, when you begin to look at Scripture, and it's not just a matter of God calling people from Old Testament, but even in the New Testament of God calling people and constantly pushing them and bringing them to the point where they literally have nothing but their reliance on God because what he's calling them to do is impossible for them, but it's only possible through Christ. And that's why we have great people in Scripture that we can read about who are going and doing things that's not within their abilities, but God gets all the glory because it's only through him that they can do it. And that's where God has really called us to be. God is constantly calling us out of what is to what will be or what can be. And I want to challenge you this morning, you know, to fight that, you have to be careful because you might be fighting the will of God. And I'm not just promoting, like, change just to change. This, this, is, not an, this is not an advocation of, of just, let's just change everything. Let's constantly change what we're doing. Change who you are. Change the way you dress. I don't think that it goes to, to those extremes that you're constantly changing who you are. But I do believe that God is constantly changing the situations and the circumstances of your life. Has anything remained the same since you were born? Have the people in your life remained the same? The people in your family remain the same? Your job, your circumstances, your hobbies, your likes, your dislikes, your taste in food. Has anything remained the same since you were born? Change is so natural to our world. And God is constantly calling us to change. And yet it is amazing at how much we all fight it. And you look at scripture... Just take the Bible, for example. 66 different books written over a period of about 4,000 years by over 40 different authors on three different continents and multiple different countries in three different languages. When you start talking about change and what God was doing throughout history, and it's not a matter of God's plan changing. Now, now you got to understand this. It's not like God has changed his plans. God has had a plan all along. But what happens is, is that you and I are experiencing small parts of the different phases of God's plan. 
And so you see the Old Testament with the call of Abraham and then the the people of Israel and Moses and the law leading up to the prophets and the judges and the kings and leading up to Jesus Christ. And even the fact that Jesus comes along, the perfect son of God, dies on the cross for our sins, does everything that we need in order to experience eternal life. And at the end of his 40 days after his resurrection, he says, I've got to go to the Father because it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell within you. It's better for you that I go. It's constantly changing. It's constantly different. And it's not the fact that God's plan is changing. God's plan has remained the same. But the plan is being fulfilled. And we have to adjust accordingly to it. And not to mention what we talked about a couple weeks ago... Even from a ministry perspective, okay, let's just say like you're willing to, you're willing to change and willing to grow and you're willing to read your Bible and pray and go to church and do all these things. Even from a social perspective, not allowing God to change your social circles boxes you in to the point where you run out of people to minister to. The fact that your friends come in and out of your life for a certain season, don't think that that's just the way the world works. That's ordained by God. God brings people in your life for a certain amount of time because you have a certain amount of time to influence them in the name of Christ. And then once that time is up, it's done and you got to move on to the next one. And time flies, doesn't it? And people move in and out of your life a lot faster than what you ever thought it would happen, doesn't it? We have to be ready so that we can continue to minister. God has called us away from the familiar. Point four. Jesus wants you to come to him. And this is really elementary and simple. And you might think, like, why are we talking about this? But I really believe, like, we need to remind ourselves of this That Jesus simply wants us to come to him. That's important. It's important as we engage in a relationship with God to know that our Savior is approachable, to know that he desires to want to be with us, and that he wants us to come to him. I was reading in Revelation yesterday, and I was reading, I think it was chapter 3, where he writes the letter to the church in Laodicea, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And his desire for that church is for them to let him in. You know, we serve a Savior who, who does not barge in and force you to accept him, but we serve a Savior who presents himself to us in a way that makes it available for us to come to him and receive him. When you look at this passage, it really is amazing that all of the the disciples deserted Jesus. And Peter may have denied him, but when you look at this passage, Peter is the one who does the most ridiculous thing, like he always did. I mean, this is kind of his personality. And he jumps in the water and he swims 100 yards to Jesus. And the other six, and I'm not saying that the other six were wrong in what they did. You know, it's like they went out to fish. They caught their fish. They're they're on the boat. They're trying to handle the net and all the fish they've caught. Peter says, I don't care about the fish. I'm going to Jesus. And it's not the fact that the disciples didn't eventually come to Jesus. We're not bashing on them. You understand what I'm saying? But I think like when you look at the passage, it's pretty easy to say the attitude that Peter had 
whenever he realized who Jesus was, and it didn't matter that he deserted him, it didn't matter that he denied him, he wanted to go to where Jesus was right then. And there has to be an attitude in our life that we understand that we have a Savior. It's like, oh, great, he gave us fish. I don't care. I want to go to him. I don't care about that stuff. I want to be with him where he is. And there might be some of you today who are sitting here and you say, well, man, I'm too sinful. There's just too much stuff in my life. I just can't come to Jesus. And that's just not true. Even in the midst of their failure, Jesus stands on the shore they can't recognize him, and he just kind of throws this bone. You know, he throws the hint, throw your net on the other side, which is something he had already done with them. And whenever they realize who it is, they're ecstatic. He presents himself to him in an amazing way. And you have to understand that you serve, you have a Savior who loves you. He's done everything possible in this world to make sure that you have access to him and you have access to eternal life. And he presents himself and simply waits for you to come to him. And there's nothing that you've done or nothing that you can do that can keep you from him. Only the choice of you not coming. That's the only thing. And so you have to choose to go. And the question is not how many times you failed him, not what kind of sin you've committed, or or anything anything in this world that you have done. The question is... Are you willing to go to him? Are you willing to come? That's the question you have to answer. Point five. Jesus will always be your provider. One of the things I love about this story is that Jesus blesses them. You know, they they fished all night. They stunk at it. They couldn't do it. He says, move your net on the other side. A really simple and what sounded as a stupid alternative and solution, and yet... Their nets are so full that the net, they, they can't pull it in. They, the net should have broken. It's kind of miraculous because you notice it says that. The nets didn't break, which is kind of miraculous. And there's 153 large fish. Jesus blesses them and gives them this, this wonderful thing. And yet whenever they come in, they don't even need the fish that they caught. Jesus already had breakfast ready for them, and the fish and the bread was cooking over the charcoal fire before they ever got there. Now, how cool is that? And it sounds simple, and it sounds really elementary, but I think it's so important for us to remind ourselves this morning the fact that Jesus wants to be our provider. And he doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to maintain authority over us or use it to manipulate us in any way. He does it because he loves us and he's really better at it than you and I are. So so let me give you a, a good analogy. Now, how many of you would love for your kids to take care of you? Yeah, we got a few people raise their hand. It's, it's pretty funny. As you're raising your kids... There's something in you, you're trying to make sure that they are growing into decent human beings. Like you want them to be productive members of society. And part of that is them just starting out with helping around the house and just chipping in as just part of their existence. You just want them to help. And so a lot of parents, it's usually younger parents that raise their hands and say, yeah, I want my kid to take care of me. You know, we say that. But as you get older and you really start to evaluate what that looks like, 
when you're no longer able to care for yourself. And then they really do have to take care of you. And I've had a lot of conversations with people over the years where they say, man, I really hope the Lord takes me on because I don't want my kids to have to do that. Because there's something in us as parents that say, I want, I had my kids because I wanted to provide for them because I love them. And many of you have had to be caretakers and you know it's hard. Like it's hard, it's long and it's hard. And you don't want your kids to have to do that because it's not like you necessarily minded doing it, but you know how hard it is. And we always try to spare our kids from the hard things. And in your life, there is a desire for you to not want your kids to provide for you because you want to provide for them. And if you take that and you align that with the desire that God has for your life, and you approach it from a perspective that he loves you and he wants to provide for you, and he's called you to more than just providing. And men, you probably need to hear this more than the women do. Because there's something in us that wants to provide. We want to give. We want to make sure that we're taking care of what we've been stewarded with. And yet, to understand that God wants to be our provider. He wants to provide for us. He wants us to trust and have faith in Him. And to realize that if we put our trust and faith in Him, we may not have as much time to work. We may not have as much time to make money. We may not have as much time to give all the things that we want to give to our kids. But what, the, what our God can give instead of those things is so much more valuable. And to know this morning that God has called you as individuals to do something so much more meaningful and eternally impactful than just providing because he can do it and he wants to do it and he's willing to do it if we will let him and he can do it way better than we can. And at the same time, while we are trusting in God to be our providers, we get the blessing and the experience of doing even greater things that he has called us to do that's beyond our abilities and our talents and what we ever thought could be possible in our life. That's the kind of God that we serve. That he wants to provide for us to, to give you the opportunity to do greater things. Did Jesus not tell his disciples, you will do even greater things than I have done? And he wants to be our provider. And so when he pull, they pull up on the shore and they have a net full of fish, the fish were just profit. They got to eat from what God had provided. They got to live off of what God had provided. The blessings of the other fish were all profit. And I always ask this question, do you really believe what we say that we believe about God? And only you can answer that. Do you really believe that you serve a God who spoke everything into being out of nothing? Do you really believe that you serve a, a Savior who turned water from wine, who took the very, the very elements of things that already existed and changed it into something else, Amen. which is amazing. A Savior that healed 
all sorts of diseases and infirmities, who, who raised people from the dead, who raised himself from the dead. The Bible that says, through Christ, all things are possible. Do you really believe that? And you have to answer within yourself as to whether or not you actually believe it. And right now on Sunday morning in the comfort of these cushioned chairs and this air-conditioned room and we're all dressed up and hopefully you had a bath this morning, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. It's a little easier to say it today than it's going to be sometime during the middle of this week when it hits the fan and it starts spraying everybody and you don't know how the situation is going to turn out. You don't know what decision you should make. You don't know how this is going to work out in any way. And then you have to ask yourself, do I really trust in a God that is who he says he is. That is who scripture says he is. Do I really believe that? Do I really believe that I serve a risen Savior who wants to be my provider? And that even though everything around me may be stripped away and fall away, we're going to be okay because he loves me and he can provide, even when it doesn't make any sense. That's hard to answer. It's hard to answer right now. But it's especially hard to answer whenever it hits the fan and you're in the middle of it. And then you have to start making your decisions off of what you truly believe in the moment. And so you better make up your mind now because whenever you have to start thinking about it later on, we have a tendency to fail if we haven't already made up our mind. Do you really believe? So finishing up today... I really think it's good for us to ask ourselves questions. And just go back through what, what we've talked about. Do I trust him? Ask yourself that today. Do I trust him? Am I willing to come out of the familiar? Am I willing to come to Jesus? Am I willing to receive his blessings? And am I willing to allow him to be the provider? And those five questions will make all the difference in the world as to the solidity of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you can answer those five questions with confidence, you can have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ. doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. doesn't mean life's going to be perfect. But you can have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ that is growing on a regular basis. But the question you have to ask yourself is, am I willing to allow God to work and move in my life and change me? Am I willing to do that? And that's a question that only you can answer. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you for this opportunity that we had to come together. And Lord, I pray for the, for the requests that were mentioned earlier, the, the people that were anointed for, we lift them up to you once again. God, I pray for the people in this room who are sitting here this morning and, and working through some of these questions that we just asked a second ago. God, if there's anybody here, anybody watching online, God, I pray that if they cannot answer these questions right now with confidence... Lord, they would simply cry out to you and say, Jesus, I cannot say this in truth at this moment. 
But I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and give me the strength to have the faith I need to truly believe in these things. And Lord, as we trust in you, as we believe in you, as we put our faith in you, and as we serve you, I pray that you would make your presence known among us as individuals, among us as a body of Christ, and in our community in such a way that can't help but change the people and the things around us. Lord, we love you, and we ask all this in your precious and holy name. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you.